Can you uh, tell uh, about the uh, Krav Maga handshake? Um, well, there's not really a lot to tell. You tell people they're about to learn the Krav Maga handshake, uh, and they kind of look at you, and then you demo. It's like, oh, a groin kick, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Budnick and welcome to Voices from the Village. In this episode, we speak with Ken and Cassie from Krav Maga Raleigh, a small local business that has shown a lot of support for the community. I was first introduced to Krav Maga Raleigh in late 2015. At that time, they were waiving enrollment fees in exchange for donations to Interact, which is a local nonprofit dedicated to ending the cycle of domestic and sexual violence in Wake County for over 40 years. The support they provided Interact was not an anomaly. Supporting the community is one of their core values. Krav Maga Raleigh has supported Healing Transitions by offering a free women's self-defense class to participants in our women's program, making financial donations, offering training opportunities for staff, and in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, they've offered Krav Maga Raleigh t-shirts to individuals who make a $25 donation to Healing Transitions. I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing our conversation and learning about how their work has stretched far beyond Wake County, and I'm very excited and pleased to introduce this episode of Voices from the Village. Really glad to be joined today by Ken Rickstad and Cassie Rhodes uh, with Krav Maga Raleigh. First of all, uh, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for the things that you've done to support the Healing Transitions organization. Um, you've done a women's self-defense class for our participants from our women's campus. You've offered training for our staff um, following an uh, active assailant online training that we did. And you featured us uh, in October 2018 uh, during the month and made a very generous donation to the organization. So I wanna say thanks for that. and. Um, you know, Krav Maga Raleigh has been really transformational in my life, and uh, so we wanted to feature the work that you guys do and what you offer in the community. And I'll just start off by saying that when I became a member, uh, one of the things that struck me and attracted me to this was instead of paying a uh, kind of a additional fee for joining, you had the option of making a donation to support Interact, which is another nonprofit in the community. So it let me know that this. Um, you know, that the studio is really focused uh, not just on the people that were coming in but the people in the community so that's a little bit of a long-winded introduction but but thank you for for the support and so forth what's the origin story for Krav Maga Raleigh okay so the the short version of that is um I started it in 2008 um, I had moved to Raleigh after living in Los Angeles for a few years which is where I started doing Krav Maga um, and I moved to Raleigh I expected I would just teach at some other martial arts schools. I have a, a long history in martial arts, uh, and I just looked for maybe some private lessons with Krav Maga. But because there was absolutely nothing here at the time, uh, it made more sense to um, rent some space and start a class. So I just did that, and you know, it started well enough and picked up over time that uh, after about a year, I realized it was time to look for my own space. and. Uh, and that's really it. You know, I, there's never like a, a master plan or anything. And it's obvious still that there's not a master plan. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but we've we've gone along 11 years now this month actually. Yeah. So um so that's how it got started. And Cassie, how did you get involved? I came I think shortly after he opened his own space and checked it out with a friend of mine, a former coworker. Uh, I was injured at the time, so I couldn't jump in, but she loved it, and she insisted I try a women's self-defense workshop a couple months later. And I, 
Renee loves to say that I never left, which is pretty true. (laughs) So uh, it's that monthly women's self-defense workshop that I now teach was also my very first class, my very first introduction to crawl, which was taught by Ken. (laughs) <laughs> at so was the that time, like 2008, 2009. That was 2000, very, very, very beginning of 2010, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, it would have been right around there because the this uh, our own space we talked about that was like um, October of 2009 that it started. Yeah. So some months after that. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the origins of Krav Maga, Raleigh. What's the origins of Krav Maga? <laughs> I hope I don't get anything wrong here. Uh, no, I got great editor here. Yeah. So uh, Krav Maga is is very modern, which is great because we actually you know have, like the history is all actually you know kept track of. Um, it was started by a man named Emil Lichtenfeld, who uh, was growing up in Bratislava, which is all right. I think now that area is the Czech Republic, and so I don't remember exactly when he was born, but he was like a young man, like nineteen twenty. Uh, or around there when um, the Nazism, fascism was starting to spread. And so he was Jewish. He lived in a um, Jewish ghetto, like just a Jewish area of town. And like literal roving gangs of fascists would just come in and beat everybody up and cause trouble. Um, he was a fighter. He was a boxer or a wrestler. So he started training other people to fight back against that. So he literally was born in the streets to fight fascism. Sadly, still relevant, unfortunately. But that's how it started. Uh, he eventually fled and moved to what became Israel, uh-huh. and um, then he became the, you know, the lead self-defense instructor for the Israeli Defense Forces. Um, but he, you know, Krav Maga kind of predated the formation of, of Israel, uh, and since then it spread around the world. You know, it's more well known certainly than it ever has been before. We have everyone from civilians to military and law enforcement still doing it, and that's my mostly accurate version. And if there's any anything that you think you can add or correct, go ahead. No, I, I love the history of Krav because most people think of it as, oh, there's real military, super soldiers, yeah. like big, tough guys. Like, it actually started with normal people. Just on the street. Yeah, regardless of age, fitness, uh, gender, anything like that, it was meant to be uh, learned very quickly um, and meant to be for, for the masses. It just worked really well, so um, this guy was obviously very good at what he did. Um, but I love for people to know that it originated with everyday people, like normal people. Yeah, vulnerable people. Exactly. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. What? How does Krav Maga differ maybe from some other martial arts or self-defense well, styles? Uh, it is. I would say that it's aimed specifically at self-defense. There are no competitions. People often ask about you know their tournaments or anything it's like no, no, no. All the things that are usually illegal, even in UFC or MMA. That's crop. The, the eye gouges, the groin that you're not seeking to beat your opponent, you're seeking to damage them and get away. Like that your objective is different. Um, and what I mentioned before about being able to pick it up quickly. Um, so you don't want to make it too complicated. You want to base it on natural movements and instincts when you can. Um, and you want to have one solution for that will or concept that will work for many different situations rather than trying to learn so many different things that you get confused and it takes you a really long time to figure out how to deal with each of those individual situations. We have a lot of other martial artists who come through here and are, uh, you mentioned a BJJ trainer earlier, Mm -hmm. Um, he's fantastic, he's amazing, but he's been doing that for like 20 years Mm -hmm. and I think it took him probably a longer time than a few classes or or, uh, even a year or two to get better and really good at what he did. So I think the the availability of it to people, that ability to pick it up very quickly, is a big hallmark of Krav and why it's uh, 
so useful for self-defense. Now that said, it's inspired by all the different martial arts. And I, I really like, uh, Krav Maga Worldwide does a really good job of, uh, I think, kind of reminding us, reminding themselves that Krav evolves. If there's a better answer out there that can check all these, these concepts for us, like easily obtainable, uh, works for all sizes, if there's something better, they'll change it. They'll, it'll evolve as, as more knowledge becomes available, uh, people come into the system. And so it really is about the person trying to defend themselves on the street and not any sort of trophy or ego about my system's better. Right. And you also mentioned that um, it's not about your fitness ability or your age or your, you know. Right. Defending yourself is really hard work. Yeah. <laughs> and we always assume the attacker, the person assaulting you is much bigger. It'd be like me and you, right? <laughs> this is a very realistic uh, scenario. Um, so I always want to train from a position of disadvantage. And even some people who are in martial arts who teach uh, some self-defense concepts within their martial arts, and they're fantastic at what they do, but they, uh, we stick to, okay, you don't know anything, and the person's already on top of you. They've already choked you. They've already, you know, you're not, you don't have your hands up. You're not in a boxing match ready to go. So that's, that's always where we start from. Talking about vulnerable populations, uh, I was really intrigued by this trip that you took to Kurdistan. Is that right? Yeah. What were the origins of that, and what were some of the things that you learned? I mean, I had a couple side conversations when you got back, but you know, what were the? How did that trip impact you? Go for um, it. Well, the origins are myself and a student, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Moore. He uh, he and I talked a lot about uh, Krav and especially my women's self-defense classes that I teach like once a month. We often open to the public how it can change people. Um, and I've always liked uh, sports and things, and I've always been a fan of sports as a way to, especially for women, just more women involved in things like that because it just changes how you think about yourself if you've done something physical. It's not about winning prizes or anything. You've just experienced that in your life. And Krav is like that on steroids because you know, you're a smaller person trying to defend yourself against a larger person. So if the physical thing you've, you've done, you've learned is self-defense, you know, it, it really changes you. And I've seen that just in that women's self-defense class, the two hours, you know, each month we have a group of women come in. The beginning and the end, like, they stand differently. They, they speak differently. Their personalities are a little bit different, you know, than when they came in. And when they talk about it the way they talk about it, you can tell that people like you have gone through it. It's, it's impacted them a lot. And so that conversation, he's thinking, he's a retired military, and he's, he's thinking of these women, the Yazidi women, over in Iraqi Kurdistan, who, you know, there back in 2014 when ISIS came through and attacked the Yazidis and basically tried to exterminate them and take the women and young girls as sex slaves. A lot of these women ha were put in that position and rescued or purchased back by their families. Um, but even the ones, even the females in the communities that we visited who weren't in that situation, they've been living at that time for about four years in these, these camps where um, you know, they're going to be at a greater risk for assault, uh, just refugee status in general. And just how much, if it could do that for women here, for people here, then what kind of impact would it, would it have there? It almost sounds therapeutic. Yeah. turns out that was the case um, when we went, and we can talk about that more as well, but when we went, we got the exact same reaction, like, but so much bigger because um, they had never seen anyone do what we were doing, especially a woman. Yeah, what did that mean to them to have people come from outside their community and were here to train and help you? Like, how, I did, think, how was that received? I think for all of us. Yeah, they were, I mean, they were incredibly positive. Um, I mean, 
like I said, you know, they've been living in a refugee camp for four years and had you know, been driven there through horrible circumstances. Um, and this, uh, like us going there, was like the most exciting thing that, that had happened. Um, not because we're so amazing, but because like somebody was offering them something. And then once they did get the training, you know, some of the feedback we got was like uh, some of the girls, they say, when I see Cassie teaching, I feel like I've been healed from a sickness. And I think that was a quote, you know, because not only just like learning something, but having the idea presented to them that they can be, you know, strong and self-actualized and stuff like that. And even with, you know, horrible trauma in their past, they, they can um, try to move forward with something like this. Uh, so it was a it was a very I mean they almost rioted because um, we 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 could only teach so many people one time and like everybody was trying to get there because um, it was because they're they're not getting a lot of um, I mean they get food and water but they just don't yeah they don't get a lot there. I think the idea was um, the healing part that was really astonishing. We had a translator with us who was also a UZD actually, um, but to hear some of the quotes and that was probably the the biggest one. There's like say that again is that a literal translation yeah. says yes this is this is an expression that we use and we don't use it lightly yeah that we are fe- feel healed feel stronger so that's what we were hoping for we just didn't expect it to be to that that level um and this is a group it's i going back to the oranges of crab i mean this is a group that was targeted yeah exactly um so we don't have to tell them about bad guys out in the world so yeah seeing us there that these americans came for them to see them specifically was just mind-blowing to them uh, it, that walking in and, and just talking to them and being with them made a huge impact. But then when they see an American woman up there doing what they expect guys to do, I think Jeremy might not have overstated it. He said, I think you've changed the norms in this camp, like, after just one day or one week. I was like, okay, that might be a little bit, you know, over the top. But then on day five, I was like, maybe you're right. Because then the guy, the, the dads, that there was one father, I think, who wanted, did you hear him say this, yeah. who wanted to keep his, his girls home? Yeah. And what, didn't they, like, they, like, were very determined, yeah, they, you're going to let us go? Yeah, I, I, they said something really funny, which, of course, I don't remember exactly what it was. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, they insisted. You know, this is um, uh, a culture where, like, women aren't encouraged to be physical or do athletics. Um, you know, regardless of the of the driven into refugee camps, you know, on top of that, there's this um, stigma against women being athletic and strong and things like that. So, um, exerting any type of independence or I think so. You know, I, I don't want to um, overstate my familiarity with it, but it's definitely yeah. you know, it, it's not it's not like it is here in yeah, in, yeah. in every way. So yeah, to see an example, they literally may never have seen a woman being strong and aggressive and that self reliant. I guess I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of the things I was envisioning. Like, this is probably something that is so outside their daily norm in terms of what they said. It had to be profoundly impactful. It's funny. Uh, this is a bit of a sidebar, but I have to give them credit. There's, um, there are a lot of UZD women resistance fighters, uh, like, on the front lines in combat, and apparently they are, like, total badasses. Which yeah. are, I mean, they, they would be after everything you've been through. Yeah. So you you got that end and then, like, the, the way opposite end of, no, don't play soccer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that you, you would think that the first thing that you, you talk about ISIS and how you can, you know, if you're ever confronted, we're not going in telling these women that, oh, yeah, when the 10 guys come up with AK, they're, you know, you should you should fight back or, like, defend yourself. That's less of what we're going for. Yes, if they ever have an opportunity to escape and et cetera. But it was really about, like, you've been through these things and just as a community probably has an impact on you. But women especially, as Ken just described, not being... Um, 
encouraged and maybe even frowned upon to be out and be physical, even to go for a jog or something like that. To suddenly be given space and to be allowed to be loud and to sweat and to, and there was some, I, I have a feeling that it's more when they are older too, because the young girls were actually pretty rambunctious, but then the older girls, you, you see a trend as they went up. Um, and actually in the second camp we went to, we were only going to have like, uh, we were going to stop at a certain point, but when we opened the door to the building we were in, all these like middle-aged and older women had gathered and they, they were, it was open to, you know, women. So they came and they were peering in the windows and things and they wanted to, to do it too. So we had like another, another class and some of them were very, very old, but we worked on just things like, you know, like you would take someone who can't quite do a squat, put a chair behind them, explain the concept. And a lot of, you know, they had problems doing that, but they came back every day. Um, the numbers kept getting smaller, smaller to just a little bit too old to kind of to move around. But we didn't even do crop. We just did physical exercises and taught them. And there was one woman that she brought her kids every day, young kids. And on the last day, she was just, you know, we gave her some exercises to do that she could keep doing. And I said she was so she almost cried. Like she kissed me before I left. It just meant so much to her because she wanted to be out and moving around and and to and she had lost her husband. It was just her. So to kind of have someone give them a little bit of structure for how to do that and how to be healthier, that was that was really meaningful as well, not even like the fighting. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think the camp director wanted to draft Ken as his uh, personal trainer when we were there too. <laughs> right. He wanted a, a diet and a fitness plan. And it's funny because they eat like bread and meat. It's, just, uh, it's, it's really good food, it's just bread and meat. And I was like, well, this is going nowhere. Here's step one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. But very hospitable. Like very the hospitable, hospitality yeah. was, they wanted you to eat with them. They were. It was like uh, I want to say stereotypical like Southern culture that I grew up in. Let me feed you. I, yeah, you know, yeah. let me have you over to my house, and you know they would cook everything they have like to to uh, to have you over for lunch. Like it meant a lot for them that you came and sat with them. Yeah, one of the the families in the camp that we um, interact with interacted with you know more in terms of liaison and outside the um, outside just the training. Like they invited us into their tent. For uh, you know to eat, and I mean they they put on a great, not just good food, but like the whole experience. You know, even though they're sort of humbly living in a refugee camp, they made a, a fantastic experience out of the whole thing. So it's very very welcoming, and uh, you know very it's kind of a cliche, but like hardworking, energetic, good spirits. Like um, you know, like people really hanging in there and doing their best. What one of the things that's made me think of listening is that there's certain things that kind of help transcend cultures and geographic distance yes. and from my world a lot of that has to do with recovery and I've had the opportunity to go to Japan and to Ghana and participate in recovery activities and and just you know it's like this common language this common experience and so forth and, and I'm thinking of that in terms of something that's you know physical that's active that's shared as a group that it transcends a lot of differences that exist culturally and geographically. So I'm curious, have you had any updates or you hear anything from folks over there? Yes, actually, we um, came back and Jeremy and myself established a charity called Volatile Charities. Um, and we technically, I think, have one employee over there. Uh-huh. And she is, we left the training equipment that we had oh, wow. with them, some mats, some pads in the second camp that we went to. And there were, we met in, in both camps. We were only able to visit two because we wanted to be there for a week in each one. But in both camps, there were... Uh, older women who were wanted to know right away how they could help like keep this going and have a presence there and so our goal is to eventually go back and help the first camp have training equipment 
um, the way we left with the second camp. And we get pictures, updates. They train, I don't say every day, but regularly. Mm -hmm. And the woman uh, who we left the pads with is able to like, you know, get them together. She's not a Krav Maga expert, mm -hmm. but just having someone there. We left training videos. We made training videos yeah. with the translators, okay. like three yeah. strikes, here's some things to work yeah. on. And they did a lot of drills. So just repeating that with them yeah. and keeping them in that mentality and a place to come to. You've been here, you know, a community crop can foster. Yeah. They kind of have that. It's a smaller group because they don't have the bright, like the Americans are here, the the people from outside the camp. But it's, it's you know, a handful of girls, 10, 20 girls at a time. We see in pictures like doing drills and keeping this going. That's incredible. So um, what are some of the goals of Volatile Charity? Is that what it's called? Right. Yes, Volatile Charities. And it is, the goal is to not need us, I think, is, is to put yourself out of business. But um, the goal is to basically do what we did in that second camp, is to come in, teach them, and have, hopefully, go, go back and visit, you know, semi-regularly. Um, it is pretty expensive to go, so it wouldn't have to, it wouldn't be very frequently. But in that time, to have those women, those older women, to, as a connecting point for the women in the community, to keep doing this. Um, and to provide them with training equipment so they could do that. And not only just like, not just Krav, but to keep up the exercises and just being physical and make that a part of their life and healthier and bring them together for, you know, a common purpose and help each other. You, again, going back to your Krav experience, you know you don't get anywhere without your training partner and you right. have to help each other. It's not a competition. So going back to that first camp doing that, they also need a shelter. So that was one of our, our line items for next steps is to uh, create a shelter where they could train and they were training was it was storage room I think that first place yeah um, it was right. incredible yeah it was like a huge warehouse with not um, meant for training yeah <laughs> oh god it was so hot um, but you know I mean it's, it's I'm not going to complain like, yeah, yeah we got they to go kept back showing to, up yeah we got to go back to a hotel you know yeah. Um, but yeah it was a huge warehouse um, you know just canvas like canvas sides and um, I don't remember what was in there like just, air conditioners oh yeah or air conditioners yeah um just big air conditioner like pallets of air conditioners were in there and uh yeah but that you know that's what they had um, so it was way hotter inside than they had than it was outside and this was august september so it was it was incredible they would come in and they wouldn't leave until you made them leave to go get air to come and then come back in for another yeah. short session um so we wanted to give them an area or more open place that's more appropriate for them to train so that they could do things like crop yeah. but also other things as soccer, yeah. uh, etc. So can people support Volatile Charities? Yes, uh, volatilecharities.org. We have a Donate Now button. We have a skeleton website right now, but the relevant pieces of information are up there. And we also have, uh, on Medium, there was a reporter that w with a sack, yeah. um, yes, the groin kick and other things or something like that is the name of his article. And it's it's got pictures. Um, of us training them, and it tells the story not only of like volatile charities, or it wasn't called volatile charities then, but of those Yazidi women. Mm -hmm. So we haven't got a deep website right now, but it's out there. And I may be pulling things together from bits and pieces <laughs> of conversations, but am I remembering correctly that you recently finished graduate work at NC State but chose not to pursue? employment in that area because this experience was so impactful and um, focusing your energy that's a, that's a little bit like different yeah so different uh bits of information but i did finish uh i did a physiology degree i stayed on to explore like further uh, opportunities in the scientific research field um the physiology degree i did was more clinical focused it wasn't a thesis degree so i stayed on to do more things like that it also was just not I sat in a lab all day mm -hmm. and I, I needed to be around people. So it was partially not a great fit for me, mm -hmm. 
but part of uh, I think what makes me kind of come to those realizations is doing so much Krav and the things that I know that I like about Krav and other things that I've done in my life. And actually, this came up right after I finished, so it was perfect timing. And it was like a breath of fresh air for everything that I had not been able to do while I was in grad school. And I guess to, to circle back to the last few things, like uh, we've talked a little bit about kind of the culture and atmosphere of a Krav studio. Like, can you just go into that a little bit more? Like, how would you describe the community uh, associated with Krav Maga Raleigh? Well, they are fantastic, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, well, I mean, it is true, like, without being sarcastic. Uh, you know, any gym or program or anything like that is going to have a community um, uh, because it's like-minded people coming together. Um, one thing that, that we definitely have been fortunate here is that everybody's really, like, everyone's really cool. You, you'll have some programs, whether it's a martial arts thing or a, a gym, where it's like-minded people, but, um, you know, they're a little more egotistical or competitive with each other, things like that. Um, but here, and I think in general in crop schools, like that, that isn't quite what it leads to. It leads more towards, you know, humility and camaraderie and more about supporting the people you're training with instead of competing with them. So that's, uh, you know, not something I really knew about when I started this program. And I think all the people that have come through the program are the ones that get credit for creating that, you know, because you'll hear it all the time, people say, about this, like, yeah, everybody here is really cool, everyone's really nice, um, and, and it's true. Uh, there's just no room or encouragement for people that, that do have sort of that attitude. I mean, we've had them come and sit at the desk and, and ask about the memberships, but um, I think they can just tell, like, this isn't that um, sort of alpha male or alpha female self-centered, you know, um, place for them. And then the more people, you know, now that we have this great community, it welcomes other people that you know that want to enjoy and benefit from that, and it, um, you know, we've also had people come in that you know have been moved towards that position, which is that's always the best thing to see. Whether it's not always from like they're bad people, but you know, um, you know, less self confident or shy things like that. Um, so you know, building that up instead of um, discouraging them because they're not as uh, as assertive with their personality. Um, it's a melting pot. It's it's. It's a lot of different people coming together for a common purpose, mm-hmm. What you yeah. said before, it really is. I've heard people compare it to a church, mm-hmm. not in the religious aspect, but just a, a gathering spot. Yeah, absolutely. And in addition to Krav, you have fitness classes here, and then you've, you've continued to expand. So I know you've got some new programs for older adults. adults. You've added some stuff in for kids. Just yeah. What are some of the things that go on here for our listeners to know about? Um, yes, we have the Krav Maga Self-Defense. Um, which is that sort of broad program has kind of always been for high school age and up. Uh, and we have some members in their 50s, 60s, um, I don't think 70s, but late 60s, you know, and, and anybody who's, who's willing is, you know, can come in and train. Then a few years ago we added, we had this space and facility to add uh, dedicated fitness classes. You know, you kind of kickboxing fitness, you hit a punching bag, lift some, it's all group classes, so you're doing it with other people. Uh, but hitting bags, lifting weights, doing, we, you know, carrying your partner up and down the street piggyback style, you know, <laughs> building that sense of community of somebody sweating all over the back of your neck. Um, uh, so we, we have those, and you know, many people take both types of classes. Some people take only one or the other. We did about a year ago, um, thanks to the efforts of two of our instructors, Mary and Quentin, um, build up a, a kids program, um, and it's uh, it's not a large part of our program, but it's it's kind of a steady, ongoing thing. And then just about a month ago. 
we did something that I've wanted to do forever, and we finally just got around to do it, which is adding a seniors program. And uh, that's, um, you know, like I said, we have some people of that age that train already, but many people in their 60s, um, the classes are a little tough for them. You know, we, we try to make them open to everybody, but ultimately it, it can be pretty difficult, especially if you don't, if you're 65 and you haven't really done a lot of physical activity before, or you've been out of it for a long time, or you have illness or something like that. We have women's programs. Your work, um, some of the workshops that you've done, in, like you've got a gun self-defense uh, coming up. Right, yeah, so like things like um, weapon defenses, which are part of the higher levels of Krav Maga, uh, once a year we'll do a workshop where you know it's open to everybody, so people can get into it. You know, In level one, who's maybe been training for a couple months, they can get a taste of that. Um, those are also open to people who are not members, if they, um, you know, if they just see that and we just want to come in and take it. And of course, we'd always recommend regular ongoing training, but um, it's not realistic for everybody. Um, so anything you can do is, is better than, than nothing. So it's I, also just a lot of fun. Like you go in, you're like, oh my God, I sort of know how to defend against a gun. Like yeah. that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. you know? I remember um, from the knife defense a number a few years ago, two things that I remember the most from that, how sore my yeah, bruised and sore. <laughs> but also the drill that she did at the end with the lipstick. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So you like said everyone wear white shirts, mm -hmm. and you had plastic or rubber knives with lipstick yeah. on lipstick. it, and mm -hmm. you got to see at the end how dead you were or yeah. how alive you were. Yeah, how, how hard many, it is. How many yeah. flesh wounds you have? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know that's that's um, it's one of the great things about Krav guys. It's got all. It's like this great self defense system it gets you in good shape it it builds your mental fortitude but also it's just really cool and uh, sometimes when I'm very often when I'm teaching I'll just be in the middle of something and I'm like wow this is awesome <laughs> you know um, and it's you know it's, it's just fantastic like that I mentioned before one of the interview questions this year is a book that you're reading or have read in the past that was impactful for you I can start, like I was rec recommended through one of these podcast interviews, uh, a book called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson about the Equal Justice Initiative and uh, defend, defending people on death row and helping them with appeals and helping change practices around uh, convictions of, of minors as adults and so forth. So, yeah, so there, there's a book I definitely recommend to anybody. Um, it's a book written by the people who have a long ongoing podcast called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And it's, um, it's primarily, well, it's a critical thinking podcast, and they talk about a lot of science stuff. Um, sometimes it's just, you know, new battery technology, or um, if somebody thinks they saw Bigfoot, and they say, well, you know, they think they saw Bigfoot, but there's no pictures or anything like that. So, you know, it doesn't have a direct, like, it's not immediately about, you know, like, this sort of stuff, but um, that in the book they wrote from it is, it's a, you know, it's a guide towards your own biases, and the many, many ways that you, your own brain will mislead you. Um, and I have found that book uh, to be really helpful, not just because it's interesting to know that like, oh, you know, when, when you remember something, your memory of it is probably not as accurate as you think. Like, that's an interesting fact, but the more important part is um, I, I've almost actually found the book therapeutic. You know, it's, it's pretty long and I just kind of read it in stages. And especially if I'm reading it when like something in my life is really bothering me, I actually find it very relaxing because it helps me sort of think like, okay, whatever I think, whatever's going on in my head, it might not actually be what's going on. So, you know, just relax, take a, a, a more careful look at things. Um, and then, you know, it also does help with decision making because you think, oh, I want to do X. But if, if I've been keeping up with my um, 
I guess for me, this is like my studies. If I've been keeping up with it, and I think, wait a second, I want to do X. I don't know if it's like buy something or whatever. I think I want that, but I probably don't actually. You know, there's something else going on. Or, uh, you know, I mean, there's many examples, but uh, whether it's a small thing or a big thing, I've, aside from the interesting information, I find that book very helpful for sort of keeping you centered and um, helping you make better decisions and, you know, being a little bit less stressed out if your mind is, um, is giving you a lot of trouble. That's great. Yeah. Skeptics oh. got to the universe. <laughs> you just ran over to look it up. Yeah, but I could not. It's like the what girl, the what girl, what is the name of the book? I'm so embarrassed. I couldn't remember the name. The Last Girl. Um, I read it right after we came back from Kurdistan, actually. Uh, Nadia, I think, Murad is her name. She just won the Nobel Peace Prize last year. Uh-huh. Um, uh, she is a Yazidi woman. And I, it's the first book I picked up when I came back. And uh, it made an impact because it was her account. She was kidnapped, held in slavery. She escaped. Uh, she escaped ISIS. But it just brought home like all the things that the women had said and put a first-person account so much more in depth from beginning to end and what she's doing now. Um, so it just uh, it impacted me in the same ways. But I think it's important to tell stories like that because people don't understand like just how bad it is. Like something, I, I, I obviously have no idea, but I would imagine it was when people were hearing about the Holocaust. My understanding okay. is that that can't possibly be true. Right. And then when the world discovered that it was true, it was just so shocking. Yeah. So continuing to tell stories uh, from a first-person account in such detail and um, in a, a format that people can absorb, I think is an important thing to, to have out there in the world. And like I said, for obvious reasons, it hit home yeah. pretty hard yeah. um, when I got back. So I would recommend it to anyone who wants to learn more about not only Yazidi women, that specifically, but just how hate in the world can, can yeah. manifest and what the truly bad people like look like and that they're out there. I'd be remiss if I forgot to mention or invite you to talk about the four-legged member of the club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, Lou. Um, the favorite member. Yeah, yeah. She's pretty much keeping uh, everything going around here. Um, yeah. So we have we have a, I have a dog. I mean, many people have a dog, but I get to bring mine to work. Um, so so yeah, we've uh, I, I got Blue about um, four years ago actually. Um, probably right at right at four years ago. It was like September October of 2015. And um, yeah, and then you know, I started bringing her in. Um, she was three and a half then. She's a like a pit, mostly pit bull, you know, kind of dog. Um, and, but yeah, I've been basically bringing her to the studio, uh, you know, most of the time since then. And she's definitely a bigger part of the community than I am. You know? um, <laughs> yeah, people people always, don't sit on the sofa and, and rub your ears. No, <laughs> they, don't, they don't even come like hang out or anything like that. Um, people frequently say like they show up for blue and it, and they're I know they're not joking, you know. Um, but, uh, she's got her own T-shirt now, right? That's right. She's, she's on. She's on a T-shirt. Um, Inspired by a real event, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the T-shirt um, is a, it's a, a drawing of blue, and it's a good, accurate to life drawing, um, like sort of cannonball headbutting someone in the groin, um, and it says "Crop my dog" on it. And uh, I mean, it, many dogs have done that, but she actually did it to one of our longest-standing members, Charlie, who's also one yeah. of our ground fighting instructors. Um, that was just like a, two weeks after I got her when she was really rambunctious. So, you know, I'd bring her in and she'd just run around all over the place from person to person. And Charlie came down the stairs and she just ran straight for him. And like, it had to be deliberate. You know, yeah, it yeah. had to be. She just tucked her chin and <laughs> went right to the groin. Um, and it's immortalized on a, on a t-shirt. That's so good. I didn't know, I didn't know the origin story behind that. Yeah. Can you uh, tell uh, about the uh, Krav Maga handshake? 
Um, well, there's not really a lot to tell. You tell people they're about to learn the Krav Maga handshake, uh, and they kind of look at you, and then you demo. It's like, oh, a groin kick, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's apparently been known uh, for quite a while. I don't know who coined the phrase, but they should give credit whoever it was around worldwide as the Krav Maga handshake. If, if anyone were to come in, we do actual handshakes. Yes, yeah, we do actually handshake you, yeah. yes. Welcome to Krav. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Misbehaved, the other mm-hmm. kind. It doesn't look like you're cut off for this place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, is, that imagery has made a lot of, um, of the shirts and other things <laughs> yeah. around here. I think the 10th anniversary shirt, the person with the yeah. party cap on and in the fetal right. position. Yeah. After. So that was one of our first shirts, right, too, one right? First shirts, um, one of our first <laughs> shirts, it said, Better living through groin kicks, yeah. which um, there's this old saying it's from GE, it's better living through modern chemistry. Yeah. So just we had this idea of better living through groin kicks, and we have this drawing of a guy on a side in the fetal position holding his groin. And even if you don't know what Krav Maga is, you look at that, you know immediately what's happened. <laughs> and uh, that that guy, who's I mean, he's he's been on a design around here since almost since we started. Yeah. I think it was the second like the second design I ever got. And um, he's one of our mascots, him in blue. Yeah, you know, yeah. We call him Groin Kick Guy. Like, he doesn't get a name. <laughs> he doesn't get a Groin Kick Guy. Yeah. Even in Krav Maga circles, you wear that shirt and people notice. They're like, oh my gosh, that yeah. is just a conversation starter. Yeah, people, it's, right? Yeah. Other, other Krav Maga schools. That's like, great. Yeah, if we go to uh, instructor camp, you know, and you wear that shirt. And every school's got their own, like, cool shirts. Yeah. And, yeah. and there are a lot of really neat designs, but a lot of them are more on the, like, like those badass Krav Maga design. Yeah, yeah. And not as many schools go with, like, the tongue-in-cheek humor design. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they look at that and, like, i got to have one of those shirts, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, Groin Kit guy. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. Voices from the Village is hosted by Chris Budnick and produced by me, Bear McBride. Music is by Vibe Tracks. Special thanks to Ken Rickstad and Cassie Rhodes. For more information on Krav Maga Raleigh, visit their website, KravMagaRaleigh.com. Healing Transitions is a nonprofit recovery program for homeless, uninsured, and underserved individuals struggling with alcoholism and other drug addictions in Wake County, North Carolina. For more information, visit our website at healing-transitions.org. That's healing-transitions.org.